I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Everton home game and a brief preview of the Brentford away game. I'm Darren Driver, the Victor Orter on deadline day of the podcast, flailing around trying to get the right combination of talent for this recording. And I'm here with the last minute panic sign-in, John McKenzie, he'll do, I suppose. John, how you doing buddy? It's nice to see you. Yeah, I'm good. I am glad that transfer window's over because it feels like it's gone on forever and I always find the transfer window a little bit boring, truth be told. They are extremely boring, aren't they? And I know there are some some more scouting-focused people in our group who might disagree with that as a point of view, but Josh, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> it is the most boring time of the year. Um, so, okay, let's do a, a brief bit of reflection on the transfer window as a whole piece. Um because it's now completed. So what what do you make of the ingoings, in, incomings and outgoings at Leeds United this summer, John? Yeah, it's been a pretty good window, to be honest. I know that people wanted more and Josh Hobbs wanted a striker and we've not ended up with that. But we brought in, I think, five first-team players, um, a couple of backup players. So I'll go through the list. Brendan Aronson, around 30 million a lot of money for for what it is but it fits the system so we'll we'll deal with that Luis Sinistera 22 and a half million brilliant player and we hope we can keep him as long as possible Tyler Adams important for the system and cheap 15 million um Rasmus Christensen looks a little bit out of his depth he's around 11.7 million um but uh yeah we'll see how that one pans out maybe he will pick up as time goes by Mark Rocker obviously fitted in fine playing really well a little bit of a gamble at 10 million not a financial gamble so um, yeah it was down to whether or not he would perform and he seems to have been good and then we've got Darko Jabi and uh, Wilfred Nonto who we just signed yesterday Wilfred Nonto is a really fun player uh, great great signing we got him for 4 million as well so whatever um, but again he'll be one of those ones who I think will soon be on the bench and will be pushing Chris Encio Somerville off the bench um, and he'll be a good backup he will fit into the system quite nicely as well insofar as he's good at charging down the field in a straight line um, and yeah, <laughs> Darko Jabi seems good um, 
very highly spoken of and it's just a question of whether or not we think he will develop at the pace that, that we need him to but I wouldn't be surprised to see him more regularly next season uh, and then there's Joel Robles um, he's a backup goalkeeper and goalkeepers aren't really footballers so I think that's a pretty good window to be honest yeah and outgoings we've seen we've seen Dan James go out and, and, and various uh, and then obviously Rafinha and Calvin Phillips at the start so John, I can see you grinning already. When I said Dan James went out, you looked like the cheeriest disposition that I've seen in in many months. Uh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd be fair to say that some of us in the All Stats group are really, in fact, most of us, I would say, are pretty pleased to see to see this happen. Um, and and this is not a personal vendetta against Dan James, as a human being, right? This is this is purely because we don't necessarily see the the attributes that he's got or what or what this team needs, right? There's, there's nothing more. There's nothing more to it than that. Yeah, I just don't. I don't like watching him play. I don't think it's nice that things have gone the way things have gone, and obviously he got forced out at the end. But he was brought in because Bielsa wanted him. The following season then became awful, and he did not a huge amount to dispel any myth that it might not be awful forever. And then, and we've managed to move him on. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a testament to how the club have dealt with this whole situation that it wasn't working for him so uh, yeah I'm just glad that I don't have to watch him play for us anymore which I, I know it sounds harsh but like I'm I, I am a fan of a club and I want to enjoy my club play football well there are only so many times you can watch Dan James stuff up promising attacks before before you lose patience with him anyway so uh, this the, the the lad we signed yesterday uh, Wilfred Nyonto is what's What's his kind of strongest position? Is he is he a, is he a striker? Is he more of a second forward? Is he a winger, or is he just a more a more sort of general purpose attacker? Which seems to be the way that we're going now with, with a lot of the signings. I'd say probably like a second striker. Probably I've I've not watched as much of of him as I should, but um, he's someone who will pick the ball up, drive, and um, yeah, it's creative. Will play through balls. Has has a good shot on him as well. And like you say, like what do we what do we really need? I know that everyone has gone on about how we want a, a striker figure. But like, this is very much about getting four players who in attacking transition will will sort of get into those central spaces, will be able to respond quickly in counter-pressing situations and then be able to find quick passes and combinations through the middle. And he'll be good at, good at all of that. So yeah, four million. Just a, again, a name that, that has been on the lips of a lot of nerds and Victor also clearly has... Uh, a lot of nerds working for him because a lot of the names that we do get linked to are, are good players. So um, the business itself seems like a car crash when you when you're looking at it from the outside. But somehow we end up with with decent players, not with that notwithstanding. So um, yeah, I think the process is often questionable, but I think the actual players that we bring in are usually okay. Okay, good stuff. Let's turn our attention to the uh, Everton game, which happened on Tuesday night. I was watching it in the bath in a Premier and in Liverpool on my phone, uh, which was which is which was been in the bath while the game was on was probably the most fun part of the game for me. Anyway, um, so we're going to start with the interrogation, where I'm going to put a series of questions or or comments to John, and he's going to respond to them. So the first one, John. Uh, another game which in many ways was difficult to analyse, I think. Uh, Leeds had all the ball, but it does feel like Everton had probably the better chances. How did you see the game play out? Yeah, so we had about 70% of possession and we put up a little bit more XG than they did. Um, in terms of how the game's played out, it 
looked very much to me like Everton were going to sit deep in the first half and try and just stop us from doing what we do, try and hit us on the break. And they largely did that. In fact, we I think we only had two shots in the first half. In the second half, I think their plan was always to come out a little bit more. And then they did that, I think, in the second half. They, they stopped going over the press, tried to build up a little bit. And it was those moments, I think, where we were able to actually cause some problems. Uh, because our creativity almost exclusively comes from counter-pressing situations. And the two big chances that fell to Joe Gelhart were both situations that arose because of counter-pressing, but also that arose because of chaos. So the ball bounces out twice, both sides. There's one, one time where the through ball's played in, it's not a particularly good through ball, but it somehow bounces off James Tarkovsky and falls back to Gelhart. And he ends up in a 1v1 with Pickford. And then the second one is one of the Everton players running in, tackling and the ball popping out again, which we've seen happen a few times. Now, I'm duty bound to say that we play a style of football which emphasises chaos and and wants to develop a chaotic game state so that we can benefit and be prepared for those moments. And that's true. But the the definition of chaotic moments is that they are uncontrollable. So you are at the behest of those things popping the right way for you. And if they don't, then then what we saw from Leeds was an inability to be creative, really, in, against a low block. Now, a lot of my more Jesse Marsh positive friends have said, well, you know, we struggle to break down teams with a low block under Bielsa. And we did, it's true, I will, I will admit that. But what I would say is that Bielsa did that with a team where we hadn't spent multiple hundreds of millions of pounds on the team and actually again if you look at the xg and those games when bielsa failed to break down oppositions and there were some games where we lost those games um, i remember cardiff in one of those games when we came back from um after lockdown and they basically smashed and grabbed with everton it wouldn't have been a smash and grab they they put up over one xg um, and they, I mean, they didn't generate many chances, but they 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 did generate about three or four good chances, and in a way that we wouldn't have done under under Marcelo Bielsa, I don't think. Um, and there was also that disallowed goal, which was a fraction offside. And had it had Anthony Gordon got a brain, then he would have played the pass earlier, and it probably would have would have been two one. Now, I I do feel as though. The, the issue here is more one of when when we had issues with creativity before, it was because we had a lack of, of talent on the field. And I feel as though even despite the fact that we've bought a lot of uh, effort ball players this window, we still also have a lot of players who are creative and we're still not seeing a huge amount of of, of generation of, of, of good chances. So to have 70% of possession and to put up around one and a half XG. I think Statsbomb had us that. I just think it's criminal, really. So I'm I'm very negative about this game, and uh, I know that I I am already not a great fan of this style of play, and that's my burden to bear, my cross to bear. But when these sorts of games happen, they're not... I don't find them particularly fun to watch. I think a lot of people do, so so that's, that's fair. But I, I get frustrated. I don't think that we're doing things in a repeatable way, so I don't see... Us doing things that is, is long term going to help us out, and so I, I come out of watching games like this just a little bit frustrated, really. I think for, I think for me that it definitely falls into two parts. Now I think in in the first half when when we're huffing and puffing and we're not really able to break down Everton's defence and and we're 
kind of not really making any chances. I find that endlessly frustrating. When when Everton come out a little bit and then we can get our counter-press involved, I think it's not the preferred style of football that I want to watch, I have to say. But I do find it kind of vaguely exciting in a crash-bang wallop, like watching two boxers swing at each other and see what happens sort of way. Um, and, and I, but, but then that has a limited influence because this is something we talked about last season, John. I'm going to skip on to question three here and come back to question two because I think it leads on quite nicely. So last season under Bielsa, we said a lot on this podcast that, um, that, the uh, the games that we were going to have the best influence in were where the where the conditions that the opponent allowed us to play in were the ones that suited the team the best. Now I think that's even more true of this style. Um, and so what I'd say is, how are we going to be able to influence games when teams don't allow us to impose our style of play? So when they either just pop the ball over the press or or when they sit deep, you know. The, and and Jamie, uh, one of our listeners. Uh, sent the question how can a Marsh team go about breaking down a low block so for me there's two elements the low block is obviously counterproductive to us but also when a team just goes over our press that's also counterproductive to us and causes us a lot of problems so how how are we going to be able to influence this as the season goes on yeah I suppose the the Jesse Marsh style is counter press and then set pieces on top of that so we generated a lot of corners in that game because we had so much possession um, we didn't cause many problems from that, but we've been being told that Jesse Marsh has solved our set piece um, problems long term. So we we should expect to see more goals from those sorts of situations. So I suppose that's what the 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 pat answer is in terms of like the creativity. Like I don't know, I, I genuinely don't know how you develop a team which is all about transitional moments and fashioning these counter-pressing moments from those transitional moments. And then when, when you just come against a team, you just sit deep and, and hit you on the break. I mean, we've seen it happen before, and Brisbane Raw caused us problems. And Brisbane Raw are a, 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 an Australian football team. They're, they're in the, um, the AFL, and they're not even a good AFL team. And we won that game, but we, we struggled because they sat deep and hit us on the break. And... I suppose the gamble is always going to be, well, against big sides, they're going to try to play against us, so we'll have games like Chelsea where we will we will turn them over. Um, but there's going to be teams who are going to be at the bottom of the table and they're going to say, well, let's just sit deep and cause some problems and see what we can get from it. Which, like, the, 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 the sum total of that is we'll win some and we'll lose some and they'll probably be the ones that we don't expect. And I think that what that points to is that we're, we're, we're kind of looking for statistical anomalies and like you keep saying, it's a bit of a dice roll. And I think that that's true of the matches, individual matches, but I think it's also true of the season that there is a bit of a dice roll element going on there. And so like, we are banking on being able to win enough of the winnable games and, and nicking a couple of the ones that you wouldn't normally consider winnable as a, as a result of that. So One of the things that I hear a lot is, oh, you know, Whenever we have a bad game, we're like, well, we just got to wait for the Marsh system to really kick in. And I don't think, I think this is it. This is where we're at now. It's not going to improve a huge amount, um, at least in terms of like the counter pressing and stuff. In terms of like, how do we break down the low block now? Jesse Marsh will come on after games and say all kinds of things about how he had plans to do certain things. So they did it against Brighton, right? Where he basically hung out Diego Llorente and said, well, if Llorente had done all of the things that we planned, then we wouldn't have had any of these problems, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe that's true. But um, I I do think that, that they are nominally going to have some sort... I mean, and, and it was clear what the plan was. The plan was just get the ball down the left-hand side to Jack Harrison and try and 
cross it in. But again, when you're yeah, we we don't have anyone who's going to cause problems really aerially, especially against centre backs like James Tarkovsky. You know that it's it's a sort of no brainer. So the I suppose the worry for me is, the worry for me is that if Frank Lampard can see a few Jesse Marsh games and sit down and be like, well, the best way we have of, of causing them problems is doing this, then it's not the most tactically, you, you know, subtle systems that, that it's going to be hard to break down. And so, yeah, as you say, I think a lot of the games this season are going to come down to whether or not coaches are going to say, do you know what, we can beat Leeds by playing our own game. We don't need to worry too much about them. And um, speaking of Llorente, uh he's been very odd in these last few games, hasn't he? Even more odd than normal. How, how odd? Maybe you don't think he's been more odd than normal, John. Um, he was definitely at fault for the Everton goal. He seemed, his place is under threat at the moment, right? As soon as Cooper comes back, you'd expect Cooper to come back in. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but again, I don't think that Cooper is going to solve any problems. I think Cooper is another defender who is shaky in those transitional moments that we that we do generate and it's funny isn't it because I know that everyone hated us under Bielsa by the end in terms of like the defensive moments that would cause us problems but I think a lot of those moments were defensive moments where you're facing the play um, and I think a lot of a lot of those goals that we gave up was like okay these centre-backs are put into they're, they're put in exposed positions because the the we've lost the ball and they've managed to just wander through the middle and now they're one on one, and I think both Diego Urente and Liam Cooper are better in those situations. Right, they're quite aggressive. Um, okay, sometimes Mankio will just get around you and you'll give away a free kick and we'll end up losing to Newcastle. Um, but in the, I th- I think the, the the moments where both of those two defenders struggle is when the ball's gone beyond them and they're defending backwards. Um, or yeah, maybe where when when it's like like we saw with Llorente when it's it's a pass and he's just completely not set for for the pass. He's positionally all over the place, and then it and then it goes through and, and then we concede a goal. Um, so yeah, I don't. The, the part of the problem with this, and again, this seems nuts to say this, but part of the problem with the system is that we don't really have the centre backs who are going to defend well in the system Robin Koch I think will be fine Pascal is obviously a great centre back but he is not a backwards defender um, because of his pace mainly Um, so I can see why he's not being played in that back like like Urente obviously has pace um, so there's certain situations where he's okay but um, yeah I, I don't think that I don't think that we're blessed with pacey centre-backs who can just drop in and, and clear things up, right? No, no, absolutely. I mean, Llorente, for all that he's quicker, the quickest out of our centre-backs, that's probably not tremendously difficult to do. I don't think he's quick compared to actual quick <laughs> quick players necessarily. So, um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, um, so we saw Luis Sinistera get his first Premier League start. How much of our hopes in these sort of games are we going to pin on Sinistera this season, do you think? Yeah, I think a few. I think he's one of the few like genu- genuinely creative players. Um, he's also able to score from outside the box, which is what we saw uh, in in that game. And I think yeah, there's going to be games where we do a lot of huffing and puffing, and we're going to rely on him for those moments in the same way that we we relied on on Rafinha. Um, I think Sinistera probably suits the system better than than Rafinha ever did. 
but I think Rafinha is obviously a level above Sinistera, despite the fact that I, I do rate Sinistera very highly. So between those two, yeah, I suppose that we'll, we'll probably hit a sort of a happy medium where, where Sinistera will get more out of the system, but maybe won't be able to do quite as much as, as Rafinha did. But um, I do think he's a fun player and I do think he's... I do think his ceiling is higher. So I, with Rafinha, I feel as though, you know, we saw him hitting his ceiling, but in a bad team. And now he's at Barcelona and we see him, what a player with who's hit his his ceiling can do in a team of, of elite talent. Um, but I do think Sinistero still has has more to offer and, and will develop. Um, yeah. And so, again, I feel like we're, you know, last season we, last season we survived because we have Rafinha. And I think this season will will do okay because we have Sinistera. And as I said before, like as a as a fan, and maybe I'm maybe I'm not rep- rep- representative of fans, but as a fan, I would rather have a team where the system produces things. And that's what I loved about Bielsa um, in the first season of the Premier League and in the Championship. I I I, ex- I accept, as you say, that like this sort of trading punches in an old boxing sense style of play can be fun but I think it's more fun for neutrals um and for me as a fan like it just it just seems a little bit too um as I say dice roll I want to I want to be more process heavy than just sort of like slamming my head into a door and hoping that it eventually crumbles yeah, I I I I don't disagree with you. Uh, that that is definitely st- I I prefer something more process orientated for for absolute sure. Um, I'm just acknowledging that there is something appealing about about big swing, big big swings. No, agreed. Yep. Agreed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so John, what's your take on on Brentford this year? I know you've watched Brentford quite a lot over the years. What are you making of them at the moment? Yeah, I think Brentford are in an interesting place. They've obviously had that famous win against Manchester United, which um, I don't think any of us expected, really. Um, But that was a game where I think they played quite reactively. So they recognised that Manchester United were in a situation where they were going to be trying to build up from the back. And they decided to just press high take the gamble and, and expect that that meant that they would just be able to turn the ball over because they, if they were really aggressive in their press they would be able to get Manchester United playing the ball back to De Gea and him just kicking it long and in the event it actually ended up being that they generated a couple of goals from those situations um, they then got a set piece goal and then got a, a, like the most perfect transitional goal on the break in the first half so it was 4-0, second half they just chilled out and um, yeah that was that was um, 
it was just a fun game all round. But in their other games where they've been expected to actually do more with the ball, it's been a little bit more huff and puff for them. So they've, they've gone down, I think, in every game, perhaps. Um, and they've had to come back. So there's been comeback draws a few times. And they also came, I think it was against Fulham, the game that they lost, where they came back to 2-2 and then Fulham scored right at the end. Um, so, yeah, why that might be the case, I don't know. Um, Thomas Frank has talked a lot about them being slow out of the blocks. Um, and again, maybe that's maybe that that's just a headspace they're in where they, they find it a lot easier to motivate themselves when they are down. Uh, but the challenge for him, I think, this season is going to be to to go on top from the beginning. And then in terms of just the structure, I think they played a 3-5-2 against Manchester United. But beyond that, they played four 3-3s. Um, they've had a few injuries to key players, so... Um, there's that to keep contend with, but in terms of like the build-up stuff in their four-three-three, they've they've looked pretty good to me um, for a team who are obviously recently promoted. Um, they do smart transfer business as well, so um, yeah, I think they'll be a tough team to to actually get results against. But I think they should be a team that we should hope to cause problems with in in some way. And I just want to touch on this because obviously on the last day of last season, we went to Brentford and got a result. Um, and and I just wanted to acknowledge that I, that I don't think that that game has any bearing whatsoever on what's going to happen uh, at the weekend. It's not indicative at all, is it, John? Yeah, Brentford had their end of season party forty eight hours before they played us because they were safe and they all have to make the most of their holiday time. So the idea was that as soon as they finish that game, they're all going to jet off on holiday and get the most of their, their holiday time. So they were 48 hours after a, a big party and a lot of the younger members of the squad, I'm told, went out far later than they should have done and weren't back until <laughs> six in the morning the day before a game. Um, so yeah, make of that what you will. I don't think it's very indicative. It's, it's one of the weakest off-ball performances I think I've ever seen in the Premier League like Ivan Tony just wandering around very little effort to close us down and uh, obviously it worked out in in our favour so yeah I'm not convinced it's going to be hugely indicative and we, we're expecting Leeds to ca- carry on with the structure they've been using the 4-2-3-1-4-2 thing um, do you expect Bamford and or Cooper to start? I don't expect Bamford to start because I just I just don't believe that he's ready. I think we we stuck him on the bench to to sort of make a point, and he he obviously came on, but um, yeah, I think he's he's just still fluctuating between coming back and then having something break down again. So I suspect for the next few weeks we might just see him off the bench. Um, in terms of Liam Cooper, maybe. Um, I I don't have anything more profound to say than that. That was very profound. Um, <laughs> in terms of the tactical issues, then let's touch on a couple of them. How do you expect Brentford to counter Leeds' aggressive counter press style on Saturday? I think they will play over our press. I think they will too. I think that's a reasonable uh, assessment. And where where will Brentford's primary threats come from in the game? On the break, I think they they can play well on the break. I am also interested to see whether or not they try and press as high. Because no team has really pressed as high this season. Um, and I think that if a team does that, we'll just collapse a little bit. Um, because you can. there's two things you can do, right? You can either just avoid the press altogether or, or those direct moments, or you can just try and cut them off at the source. And it, it will be interesting to see if Brentford come out and they think, OK, let's just go high, try and cause proper problems, and then, and then sort of 
press back and, and win the ball and then counter attack into those build in those build up moments. Um, now, obviously, Leeds can can hit the ball long. Um, that's no problem. But I think so much of our attacking play is built around running these routes where you get the ball on the floor. Um, and so as soon as it starts going in the air, I think that we start losing a, a, an edge in that respect. And where are Brentford going to be vulnerable? I don't know if I would say that they would be will be vulnerable in uh, so much as like they they do have a, a, maybe a slightly lower ceiling in terms of the, the the squad talent. I'm just having a think now. I know that they've I know that they've had sort of issues on the on the right hand side um, a little bit in the last few seasons but I feel as though they've sort of started to sort those out as well um, they obviously have gargantuan centre-backs so again what they'll probably do is try and funnel us out wide they'll probably sit in the middle and, and force us wide and, and know that you know one they're stopping us from doing our thing but two they'll be forcing us into situations where we have to try and cross the ball in and, and, and sort it out but um, set pieces maybe I don't know. Are they bad at set pieces? Maybe. Let's just say Brentford are bad at set pieces, so that's where they're vulnerable. Let's just say that. We don't know whether that's true or not, so please don't um, don't pay any attention to that. Um, okay, so descri- describe to me what you expect watching this game of football will be like, John. Uh, not very enjoyable. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I would probably agree with that too. Um, and where will it be won or lost? Yeah, I think it's... We're going to say this every every week now. It's going to be... The game, the games where we're able to do our thing, will will be more likely to win. I know that that sort of sounds really banal saying it like that, but the 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 point is is that teams will know how to stop us from doing the things we're good at, and they will take that that gamble or not to to play their normal game or to to sit deeper and and to not allow just a c- compact space, not allow any sort of transition, not allow any kind of counter press. Um, and then I guess we've not really talked about the high press as well because I felt like Everton because they just spread the field that our high press didn't look particularly dangerous at all against them either. Yeah, that's all you need to do to take our high press out, isn't it? Is just make the pitch really big laterally. I think so. Yeah, and then if you're under any danger, just lamp it. Doesn't mean that you're going to generate many chances yourself, but as we saw, like it generates enough chances for at this level. And this is what we said before the season is that. You know, when you're playing in the Austrian Bundesliga and a team tries to sit deep and lamp it, then you just don't have any dangerous transitional moments at all, really. And it's it's fine. You can play Rasmus Christensen in your defence and it's no sweat. Um, but yeah, in the Premier League, there are very, very good players. I know people think that players like Anthony Gordon are bad, but Anthony Gordon relative to a lot of the, the levels of world football is pretty good. Uh, and if you allow yeah, him yeah. chances that we allowed him, then he will take them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of the uh, the podcast for today. So we will be back early next week with a review of the Brentford game. But until then, listeners, do enjoy the game. Have a great week. And thank you very much, John. Thanks, man. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.